Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Today, Marker unveiled their brand new Duke PT binding. So Luke Kappa, Sam Shaheen, and I discuss this new binding and where it fits with respect to the Shift MNC and the CAST Touring system. We also then discuss some big new changes at Gore, the new Gore-Tex Pro versus the North Face Future Light fabrics. We get into the truly appalling behavior of Backcountry.com, and then Luke talks about several new skis that he's already been getting time on, and I get things started by talking about my new favorite thing. Now, before we dive in, we've got a couple notes here. First, I want to let you know that everyone who pre-ordered the print edition of our 1920 Winter Buyer's Guide, all of those pre-ordered guides shipped out on October 14th, so they have been sent. But one thing we've been told is that these terrible wildfires that have been raging in California, these are causing some delays in the shipping of the guide to parts of California and to Canada. Now, we don't have more specific information than that, but if you are in California or Canada and have yet to receive your print copy of the guide, please be patient. And if you can be patient no more, please send us an email. Now, if you've ordered the guide after the pre-order period, we are shipping guides out every day and domestic orders are generally taking two to three days to receive. And if you would still like to order a copy of the best coffee table book out there, you can still do so at blisterreview.com and we would love to send you a copy. Okay, our second thing here. I want to ask all of you to check out the last two episodes of our Bikes and Big Ideas podcast if you haven't done so already. Two weeks ago, we had an important conversation with the CEO of Climate Neutral, and if you missed it, I want you to hear it. And then yesterday, we posted a conversation with Paul Basagodia, the phenomenal slope style and big mountain mountain biker who was paralyzed at the 2015 Red Bull Rampage. I had a great conversation at the start of this week with Paul about his new film that just aired on HBO called Any One of Us, and that is an extremely fitting title. Spinal cord injuries are far more common than I imagined. There are nearly 300,000 every year, and I think that anyone listening to a podcast called Gear 30 ought to hear Paul's story and watch his film, Any One of Us. Okay, last thing here, we talk in this episode about an excellent article that Jason Blevins published yesterday on the Colorado Sun website about backcountry.com, and I am calling on every single person who actually cares about the outdoors and who actually cares about the real backcountry to read this article. I'll say more about why in this episode, and we will have a link to the article in the show notes of this episode. So seriously, check this article out, share this article with your friends, and let's just make sure that people know what in the world is going on here. And now, finally, let's get to my conversation with Luke Kappa and Sam Shaheen. Well, here we are, back again, coming to you from Blister HQ at Elevation Hotel here in Mount CB. 
And we have a number of things to go over today. And so um, we're going to go round table style and I'm going to get us kicked off with something that I just need to share with the world because I kind of have a favorite new thing. I have Luke Coppa to thank for this discovery, but Luke introduced me to buffalo fried cheese curds that are made and served right here at the Elevation Hotel. This is a game changer. They're incredibly good. I'm sure they're not good for you, but they are incredibly good. And I've been having quite a day and I came in to record this podcast and Luke was sitting in here already and there was an open plate of buffalo fried cheese curds and I promptly ate all of them. Luke, you're the best. Actually, you're second best next to the buffalo fried cheese curds and that is all I have to say. But you've had reason to come to Elevation before to see Blister HQ. I now think actually the first reason you should come is to try the buffalo fried cheese curds. And then if you get around coming to check out Blister HQ, you should do that. That is now the official order and I am done. There's also a, uh, a new product that's being announced today that uh, one or two people out there might uh, be interested in. Luke, why don't you talk to us about this product release today? Yeah, so Marker today announced a brand new touring binding called the Duke PT, and essentially it is going to compete directly against the Solomon Atomic slash Armada Shift MNC, as well as the Cast Free Tour system. Um, so basically, the Duke PT lets you skin uphill in a tech pin toe, so you get that nice efficiency, and then ski downhill in a fully ISO certified alpine toe and heel. In terms of specs, really similar to the shift in that you get a tech toe on the up, fully certified release on the down. There are a few things that make the Duke PT stand out from its competition. Namely, um, in terms of the toe design, for lack of a better analogy, it's kind of like a mix between the cast free tour system and the Solomon shift. Um, essentially the Duke PT has a, a tech toe that's permanently on the ski and then the Alpine toe piece attaches over it. And then, so when you're touring, you flip the, the Alpine part of the toe piece up and forward, and you can either leave it there or you can take that off completely, which Marker says saves about 250 grams. Um, so in that way, it's kind of similar to the cast system. Um, but then you just, when you want to go downhill, you just put that Alpine toe piece back onto kind of the tech toe piece. It slots over it. And reportedly, all you have to do is kind of step into the binding and that's what locks it in place. Um, it's definitely a, it's a unique design on the market right now. I'm curious, um, about potential icing issues. Cause anytime you're taking stuff on and off of binding, that's something I worry about, but the, the opportunity to take some weight off of the ski when you're going uphill, similar to the cast system is, um, probably a nice option to have. The other thing that definitely makes the Duke PT stand out is that it's offered in two versions. There's a 12 in, which is coming in at reportedly 850 grams in uphill mode without that Alpine toe piece. And then about 1,090 grams in downhill mode for the 12 in version. 
And then they also make it in a 16-din version, which actually kind of nicely slots in between a shift MNC 13 and a cast free tour, which is an 18 din binding. And the Mark, uh, the Duke PT 16 reportedly comes in at about a thousand grams in uphill mode, which is almost identical to the cast system. And then about 1280 grams in downhill mode, which is a bit lighter than the cast system. Both or the 16 din Duke PT is, um, in uphill mode about 150 grams heavier than a shift. And then in downhill mode, about uh, 300 grams heavier. So it kind of slots somewhere in between the shift and the cast system. Um, but basically, the bottom line is that we now have a third very interesting competitor in this hybrid touring binding category. Sam, anything in particular that jumps out at you about this design? Yeah, definitely. Um, for me, it definitely it feels more like a shift competitor than a cast free tour competitor, I think, just because... You know, CAST was basically taking these existing technologies and creating a way to make them kind of coexist a little bit. And this 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 Duke PT really is a ground up new design. It's the the toe piece kind of reminds me of uh, those Russian nesting dolls, you know, where there's like the big fat toe piece that like fits inside the slightly smaller tech toe piece. Um, definitely curious to get out and and check that out. One of the things that really jumped out to me though on the spec sheet is uh, the climbing risers. You know, one of the one of the main things that we hear negative about the shift is that it only has that one 10 degree climbing riser. And unfortunately, the Duke PT also only has one 10 degree climbing riser. In, 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 other, in other specs, they seem relatively similar um, besides what Luke already, Luke already talked about. Um, stack heights are relatively similar. I, I also worry about icing, but I'm really curious to get in it. And for those people who are wanting a higher DIN shift or a lower DIN shift, the 12, the the, the Duke PT 12 goes down to a DIN four. Um, the 16 obviously goes up to 16, so it covers a bit wider range than the shift. Um, it could be it could be an interesting an interesting addition to the market next fall. Okay, so just briefly, and again, we have not spent time in this binding yet. Uh, we will. Let's quickly break this down. So on paper. Why would someone be looking at the Duke as opposed to, say, the shift, Luke? Yeah, so one thing, um, as Sam mentioned, it kind of covers the higher and lower ends of the spectrum in terms of din, DIN settings. If you want to be able to run, say, a 4 DIN on this binding, you can do that with the Duke PT-12. If you want to run a 16 DIN, you can do it on the Duke PT-16. They're both MNC compatible, so they both work for the same boots. The, the DIN is the, is the most obvious thing yeah. I can think of right now. Why would somebody on paper potentially opt for the Duke over the cast? Uh, well, if they don't need an 18 DIN binding, that's pretty obvious. Um, and then the main thing I'm curious about is the swapping toe piece functionality. With the current cast free tour system, um, our reviewer, Sai was actually pretty impressed with the functionality of the toe pieces and swapping them. Um, they've spent several years now kind of working on that system. And so I'm really curious to see basically if one is kind of more efficient or more finicky or more prone to icing than the other. But apart from that right now, all I can really talk about is DIN. And then the Duke, even the 16 DIN Duke PT is a bit lighter on the downhill, but it's a, it's almost exactly the same stated weight as the cast system on the uphill, which is pretty interesting. And then just for you know, getting the record straight, 
why might someone potentially be interested in the cast over the Duke? Uh, again, you get a higher DIN setting. Um, you also get a look pivot. Um, so if you want to pivot, still the best system out there. And you also get a high riser. Yeah, we'll look forward to putting some time in this binding, see what we think. Okay, well, moving on. Sam, you just got back recently from Canada where you were hanging out with some folks from Gore and getting to see some of the ins and outs of this new Gore Pro fabric. Our last Gear 30 episode was dedicated to this release, but I just wanted to get kind of your take. You've had some more time to think about these things. You talked with a number of people from Gore. What are your kind of current primary thoughts or takeaways on these new fabrics? Yeah, so um, first I would recommend checking out the podcast if you really want to dive in deep. Uh, I had a great talk with Gore's Mark McKinney, and we he's not not only did we have a really cool conversation about the product, but he's got a pretty sweet accent. So go listen to that podcast. I was so mad at you that you didn't ask him. I just would have talked about that in Scotland the whole time. <laughs> I would have just been like the cool. I eh, we'll get to pro later. He ha- Scottish people have the coolest accents. I think that's just kind of almost fact. Say Kiwis are up there. Oh, Kiwis are Kiwis up there. Kiwis are up okay. there. Well, but Mark's Scottish accent is also like a particularly good Scottish accent. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> that's a fine accent. And by the way, another thing, as you got to sort of spend time with him in the week, that was one of the things you said, like this dude is an accomplished guy and just kind of a cool guy. And I don't think we got to hear too much of that. Cause again, stupid new Gore Pro fabric releases were getting in the way. Um, <laughs> But do I have that story straight? Yeah, no, Mark seems like a really cool guy. We got to go out, climb a little bit and uh, hang out in the mountains with him. I think he's just a, a Scottish crusher who goes up in like freezing rain and sleet and climbs, you know, <laughs> those are the only conditions they get. So it's kind of like uh, skiing on the East Coast, but way worse. So yeah, I, it sounds like ice climbing in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> anyway, Sam, my apologies for the uh, the the tangent there, but... um. Back to Gore Pro. Yeah, so uh, short version is the new Gore Pro will be coming out next fall. uh, And it's basically three technologies combined into one. So current Gore Pro is just sort of, you know, one membrane, a set of face fabrics and one backer that they offer to all their their different brand partners. New Gore Pro is broken into three different fabrics. There's a, or three different laminates rather. There's a most durable, a most breathable, and a new one with stretch. Uh, Stretch is by far the most interesting one out of all these. Gore has purportedly come up with a way to keep their membranes extremely durable while offering about 20% mechanical stretch, 12 to 20% mechanical stretch. Um, The jacket that I have testing here, the stretch is very noticeable and certainly improves comfort, which is pretty, pretty rad. Other than that, the fabrics... I think they're they're a step in the right direction. The most breathable fabric is actually the same as their current Gore Pro now. Um, the membrane that is, then 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 they've done some some work on sustainability with uh, solution dyed. The backers are all solution dyed, which saves a lot of water and energy. Um, then there's they're expanding their recycled face fabrics offerings as well. Um, so it's just I, I think a lot of steps in the right direction. The real interesting thing from a technology perspective is that stretch. The other thing that I think is interesting with this new with this new fabric and kind of a, maybe a bit of a new paradigm at Gore is the flexibility they're offering their partners. So we didn't actually touch on this in the podcast with Mark, but 
Gore is really kind of just telling their brand partners, do what you want with this, which is not wow. something they've done in the past on, on other no. things. So you might see jackets that combine Gore Pro with standard Gore CNET or Gore Packlight, or, I mean, who knows? And um, that's really exciting. Giving the, giving the brand partners more freedom to kind of see where they take this, I think is going to be, it's going to be exciting from our side. That's almost like brave new world stuff. And like, just polar opposite from how Gore has operated. Yeah, very true. And I, I don't think Gore is going to be rolling back any of their requirements on testing, you know? So, you know, someone can make a crazy jacket and if it doesn't adhere to Gore standards in the lab, that it's not going to get to market. But, um, but there's a lot more opportunity for crazy new things coming out of Gore in the future, so. And I, just maybe to give a little bit of context and Sam, you can... Um, you can chastise me if you don't like this analogy, but I think some ways to think about this in the past, it's been a little bit like Apple versus Android, that Apple has kind of been this closed operating system. They don't like having a lot of third-party vendors, right? And so people who hate Apple, right, always say, you can't do anything with it. You can't customize it. And yet the people like the Apple defenders are like, yeah, but that's why our stuff works and is less buggy and doesn't crash all the time, whether that's still true or not. But then on the Android side, it's right. It's kind of this idea where, yeah, you kind of can go do what you want, customize around. And Gore, I think historically has been on team, let's control the whole sort of ecosphere as you were when it comes to a product. We don't want people experimenting with different weights and that kind of thing when it comes to products. So they've kind of been Apple, not Android. Yeah. Sam, do you like that analogy? I think that's a that's a pretty accurate analogy. And you know, stopping just short of Gore making their own garments and having their own brand, Gore has been very much in control historically. And that that they're not fully relinquishing that control. I mean they they still yeah. plan to test these things as far as I know. But um it will be really cool to see what the brand partners come up with. There's a lot of new fabrics, a lot of new laminates, a lot of new face fabrics. So hopefully this 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 gives a, gives the market a few more options out there. Okay, related question. New Gore Pro versus this big splash that was all over every media outlet on planet Earth, I think like just a few days ago. Seems like North Face Future Light. Sam, similarities here, big differences here? Yeah. Um, so for starters, um, Mark offered a very diplomatic answer to this question from <laughs> the Gore-Tex perspective on the last Gear 30. So you go listen to that. But yeah. it, his basic answer was that Gore's membranes and technologies are backed by lab results. It didn't really speak much about future light. But I think the short answer to your question, Jonathan, is that they aren't really apples to apples. Yeah. So North Face is using future light membranes in basically all of their waterproof breathables in their line, which, so the primary thing that they're marketing on this is the tunability of it, right? So a future light membrane can be a super breathable, not very waterproof, soft shell laminate. And it can also be their most durable Gore Pro competing you know, expedition style jackets. That's the main thing that separates them. That on the technology front, we don't really know a ton about Future Light. We can speculate that it's an electrospun, air permeable membrane. 
but we haven't had a chance to sit down with North Face and hopefully that will that will happen so we can kind of shed some light on these things. But the short answer is Future Light is not a competitor necessarily to Gore Pro. Um, Future Light is more of a competitor to Gore-Tex as a whole, if you want to think of it that way. But more than anything, I think Future Light is a huge marketing juggernaut and very curious to get in some of the pieces. We have some Future Light pieces here and we have some Pro pieces, so we're excited to get out and compare a little bit. But um, we don't have the final word yet. Yep. Luke? Luke is like chomping at the bit. I've never seen Luke <laughs> oh, this he... eager to, to just go. So what do you got? Well, yeah, I mean, like Sam said, since it's a proprietary membrane, they can kind of do whatever they want with it. But the fact that it's air permeable, I think is probably the highlight of it compared to GoPro, which is has traditionally been a less breathable, much more protective and durable membrane. Um, we just got the North Face Freethinker jacket and the Freethinker bibs, which are kind of their like minimal backcountry free ride kit. And at least in terms of hand feel and the structure of the fabric, it feels much more similar to something like the old Patagonia Dissensionist or the old Strafe Sham uh, fabric rather than a Gore Pro piece. Like it's super supple, has a pretty, um, I would I just call the backer minimal and it's a knit backer, so it's super flexible. Um, overall, I agree with Sam, they don't seem very apples to apples. I would say the comparison I'm interested in is Gore Active with the CNET membrane versus some of the Future Light fabrics. Sam, anything to add to that? Yeah, I think I would definitely second Luke's comparison of the Freethinker fabric being similar to the old Patagonia Dissensionist fabric. Very similar hand feel, very similar drape. Um, but yeah, I think just each Future Light piece is going to have a different competitor on the market. So this Freethinker feels kind of like Dissensionist, Sham, other air permeable stuff, some Neo Shell pieces, things like that. But other 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 Future Light pieces will have a different set of competitors. Mm -hmm. um, on that note, we also just got another uh, piece that uses a pretty interesting membrane. Um, it's from Pitcher Organic. It's called the Harvest Jacket. And it's a three-layer shell, but rather than using like an EPTFE or PU membrane, its membrane is made by PBAX. They call it PBAX Renew. And the membrane material is actually made from castor bean oil, um, which is something we've seen used, I've seen in sunglasses. Um, and I believe LibTech uses castor bean oil for their top sheet material. Um, but it's a material that people are using to replace traditional plastic um, and using it more and more now. And Picture Organic, the Harvest Jacket, and as far as I know, several other of their uh, 1920 waterproof breathable jackets are made with this new bio-based membrane. Um, they also do um, fluorocarbon-free DWR, um, which is and a recycled uh, face fabric, part post-consumer recycled, part um, recycled from factory scraps, I believe. So all of that equates to a waterproof, breathable, technical shell that looks like it could be um, one of the most sustainable out there. Um, and we just got that in like today. So we're going to be testing that out and 
I'll, I know Sam and I will be having a lot of fun comparing Future Light to the new GoPro to this new PBAX Renew uh, membrane. And just for the record, can you say something about this company, Picture Organic? Yeah, so Picture, I'm not exactly sure how long they've been around. I would guess within the past like 10 years or so. Um, they're a French company, um, as you might be able to guess by their name. They try and place an emphasis on sustainability across their line. Um, right now, I was actually checking out their line. They make so many jackets and pants, um, a really broad line. Definitely has more of a kind of, I would call it modern, more European style, um, maybe similar to something like Descent or something like that. Um, but yeah, they make everything from technical outerwear to just like casual streetwear. They, I believe they still make wetsuits um, that were made from, a, I think, a bio-based neoprene. Um, so they've expanded into a lot of different categories, but they make a lot of different snow shells. And the Harvest is kind of their flagship shell for this new uh, membrane. Yeah, I've been testing out a, one of their shirt jackets, shackets, if you will. Oh, this I, like I like that genre. Hate, hate the word, love the genre. <laughs> yeah, that's where I am on yeah, that. Yeah, I'm very much with you. That word is super dumb. Um, but this jacket that I've been wearing from them, it's like my go-to house jacket. I just wear it around my house yep. constantly for like the past two months. I've been really psyched on it. Cool. Next topic. <clears throat> this one makes me super angry and I don't feel, I don't have the energy today to be super angry. Like, so the first thing I want to say is there is an article that every single person listening to this needs to go read. And it is by Jason Blevins and it's reported in the Colorado sun. And it is an article about some really messed up stuff that backcountry.com is doing. I still want to digest this very well reported article by Jason in the Colorado sun. But if this stuff is really true, what backcountry.com is doing, basically they're going around and firing a bunch of lawsuits at other companies that have the word backcountry as part of their company name. If this is true, I'm just going to go on record and say, I think that sadly backcountry.com is now just one of the most anti-backcountry brands in the world. This is unforgivable. And frankly, I think as a as an outdoor community and as a group, including the people listening to this podcast who probably really enjoy spending time in the backcountry, again, I want to have a bit more time to process this. But if this if these reports are true, I don't know how anybody who actually appreciates and enjoys the real backcountry would ever give their business to backcountry.com. Like full stop boycott if these things are true. And I think I'm going to have some more to say on this topic a bit later. But for now, please go read this article by Jason Blevins in the Colorado Sun. Yeah, and I, I, I'd like to add to that as well that um, Jason has been sort of a mainstay in yep. the Denver journalism scene yep. for a very long time. Focusing on the outdoor industry, a lot of gear stuff, a lot of outdoor pieces. But I, I mean, I grew up reading his articles in the Denver Post um, for the longest time. So this isn't coming from just like some 
Bush League journalist. No, yeah. literally, like, you know, we have a lot of connections in the ski world. And from so many walks of life, I literally have never heard anyone have anything other than great things to say about Jason and his work. So no, this is not some second-rate report here. And um, interestingly, I've actually been talking with Jason quite a bit over the last month. This this came out of nowhere, and, and I didn't know uh, that he was reporting on this until I read it in the Colorado Sun today. And then I immediately contacted Jason. We've been talking about it since. But for now, read the article, please judge for yourselves. And if you come away thinking this is the sort of behavior that I want to support, okay, well then we're on different, we're on different sides of this aisle. It's really unfortunate. There, there was a time when I thought backcountry.com was just an exceptional brand and an exceptional company. And I'm talking like, you know, 10 years ago. And I think that there was a time where there was some real outdoor community support going on from backcountry. I frankly think those days ended several years ago at least, but this is a kind of final nail in the coffin or the last straw that absolutely broke the camel's back. And um, again, I wanna talk to Jason further. I wanna do a bit more due diligence. I wanna talk to some other vendors and get some other perspectives here, but um, this is real bad. And uh, I don't see how any of us who truly actually care about the backcountry could support this place. That's all I got to say for now. Let's talk about happier things. Yeah. On a happier note, I have been skiing recently, which turns out is still really, really, really fun. Luke is smiling a lot right now. <laughs> well, so to clarify, I was still doing the ski at least once every month thing, but by the time August rolls around, it's hard to classify that as snow, um, and usually you're not skiing a whole lot of it. So anyway, got to ski some green groomers about two weeks ago or so, and brought out the new Moment Deathwish, the Moment Wildcat 108, and the new Blizzard Rustler 10. Um, all of which turns out I really like. Um, it was my it was my personal first time on a Deathwish, and was. I came away with really positive impressions. Um, it's a very light ski for its size, so it's definitely not like some super damp ski, but it is very, very easy to flick around in the air. Like normally I start off the season being extremely clumsy, but it was just really intuitive to get on the death wish and hit a bunch of side, side hits. And then I do, I definitely agree with what Sai has said about it. Like if you're driving it through the front, you can dig in those edges pretty hard, like harder than I expected given it's one twelve underfoot. But then it's so, so easy to throw sideways. Like I wouldn't, I don't think I'd call it like Merit moment Meridian or like line serve Rancis bacon easy, but like I had absolutely no problem getting it sideways, which is super fun. And then the Wildcat 108, I had actually been on that ski the past couple months um, using it for my stupid um, summertime skiing. But another really fun ski reminded me a lot of the Deathwish. I mean, they come in at similar weights and their flex patterns aren't super different, so not that surprising. Um, but basically, uh, I mean, I would have liked to have been on a ski with a slightly shorter turn radius, seeing as I was skiing like 20 degree 
green groomers with about a hundred other people in front of me. Um, but it was still a lot of fun, like the Death Wish, very poppy, super light in the air, easy to throw sideways, but still holds an edge well. Um, and I mostly am just really looking forward to getting these skis uh, out in CB, where we can actually get them on something a little steeper than 20 degrees, <laughs> um, sometimes a lot steeper than 20 degrees. Yeah. Um, but yeah, really big fans of those skis so far. New Rustler 10, um, I hadn't bet on the original in like a little while. And I still really like that ski. It is a bit more damp now. Um, not a massive difference, still a very poppy ski, still really fun to carve. Um, they finally opened like one other 100 yard section of a groomer uh, the second day we were there and no one was on it. So I could actually make like linked GS turns, which was super fun. Um, and yeah, that ski still very playful. Um, but pretty versatile, I think. I mean, the overall feel of the ski hasn't changed much. I'm still, I'm not sure if they've kind of fixed the hookiness issue that we noticed in the previous version. I still kind of felt it, but I think I'll need to get more time on that ski before I say, any, say anything final about that. And then lastly, um, we've been getting snow in CB actually, and a lot of snow up high actually. Yeah. And there's a tiny town called Irwin that's uh, even higher than Crested Butte. And um, there's a bunch of little like jibs and rails and jumps up there. So got to take out the new prior Northwest 100. Um, and it's been a while since I've been on almost like a park oriented ski and it was super fun. That ski, like the moments is not very heavy. Um, but it's really snappy, really easy to flick around. And, uh, overall, I, I mean, landing really backseat and really forward many times, given it was my first time really jumping on stuff. Um, that ski had a big sweet spot, I thought, and, um, mostly I'm eager to get back on it, hopefully this weekend. Nice. Well, gentlemen, man, this reminds me too much of the curated.com rant where now i'm all fired up again and like this needs to stop happening it's not good for you like my just get blood. off the internet <laughs> i know stupid internet and uh anyway i'm just gonna go back to looking at this now empty plate of um buffalo fried cheese curds that's in front of me because i was very happy well i was very angry because of the backcountry.com thing when i walked in here then i got very happy then you get your fix <laughs> then i got my fix thanks to luke and then now i'm upset again and angry and so it's time for i think another workout so i'm going to go do that but um we've got some interesting products coming here uh whether it's on the outerwear side or a new binding or some of these skis we've got more skis that have just arrived uh yesterday we'll be talking about those soon so anyway let's leave it at that and uh I'm going to let you guys get out of here and I'm going to go work out and we'll all talk uh, real soon. All right. Bye, everybody. That's it for this edition of Gear 30. And again, we'd encourage you to check out the article written by Jason Blevins for the Colorado Sun. And we'll include a link to the article in the show notes to this episode. And I also want to remind you to check out the last two episodes of our Bikes and Big Ideas podcast, where we talk to the CEO of Climate Neutral. That's a big one. And then where just yesterday we posted my conversation with Paul Basagodia about this new film of his that premiered on HBO this week, Any One of Us. Paul's story is remarkable and there are lessons and there is information in this film that we all need to hear. 
Finally, I want to thank Jared Farley and Luke Alley for their joint work on this episode. And I want to thank you for listening. Now, please take good care out there, and we will talk to you again next week.